Great to see you. Great to be with you today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout. And um, if you have your Bibles with, with you today, you can open them up. We're in Judges chapter 6 and 7 today. I am very, very excited about what God is stirring. You'll see that we're starting a new series today called You're Stronger Than You Think. And it is, it, I, honestly, it's going to be one of the most encouraging series that I have ever had the honor and privilege to teach through. And I, I just want you to understand this. This, this would be a great series for you to bring family members, uh, friends to, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, because everyone can use the kind of encouragement that we're going to unpack in this series. Um, and and the, the title really does say it all, that, that there, is, there is more strength available than we can possibly imagine because of the Lord. When, when the Lord is present, then his strength is available to flow through us. And I want to say that no matter what you're facing, what, you might be facing monstrous circumstances, or you might be facing temptations that are extremely heavy, or uh, the biggest evil of all, the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I just have to say this because I, I realize, uh, you know, we're on the West Coast, some mixed crowd. I, I, I want you to understand that if you are a 49ers fan at Overlake, we welcome you here with open arms. We really do. We, we have all kinds of grace for the filthiest sinner. Uh, and, and so, you know... <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so funny. Uh, I, I want you to understand that there are many noble reasons to root for the home team, okay? Um, obviously, it's, it's pride in, in the city that we live in, and it's the community of the 12th man. Um, but at Overlake, the reason why we cheer for the Seahawks is because we love Jesus. And we want to be about what Jesus is about. And so... Uh, Okay, I'm going to button it up right now, but in two weeks, I'm going to pull it out again, just so you know. All right, so here we go. Uh, if, you, if you're taking a look at the notes, this is the, the, the premise undergirding where we're going over the next four weeks. It's speaking to the Lord in Psalm 89. It says, Lord, you are their glorious strength. God, it pleases you to make us strong. I want you just to resonate with that. If you want to memorize a verse, memorize that one, that it pleases the Lord. The Lord delights in making us strong. Now think for a second about maybe creation, the way God made everything. You, you think about the, the, the muscular perfection of a stallion and the Lord delighting in that. You, you think about the fact that, that an ant can lift a hundred times its body mass, and the Lord delighting in that. I found out this week that there is a spider in Madagascar called the bark spider that weaves a web that is three times stronger than Kevlar. <laughs> so scientists right now are experimenting with that, uh, that spider web in order to produce body armor for soldiers. Because spider's just thinking, all I want to do is catch a fly. We're like, how can I stop a bullet? Okay? Now, the delight that the Lord takes in the strength of his creation is immense. But the delight that he takes in your strength 
is even more so, even greater measure, that the Lord knows you, and he knows how he made you, and he knows what you're facing, and it delights him to make you strong in the circumstance that you're facing. And so we're going to unpack a passage of scripture today. We'll, we'll do this over the next several weeks. And, and so I really want you to, to track with us and come. But here's the deal. We're going to unpack the story of a guy named Gideon today. And it starts in Judges chapter 6. We'll just jump in right at, at verse 1. It says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And this is a phrase that comes up again and again throughout the book of Judges. We see it again and again in the history of Israel. We also just recognize that it is a part of the human condition that even though God shows himself and he provides for us and he, he takes us through even miraculous circumstances just like the Israelites, we tend to wander. That's certainly what was happening in this day. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So he's hiding, he's threshing wheat, but he's doing it at the bottom of this wine press so nobody can see what he's doing, so nobody will steal his grain. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, your translation might say, man of valor or great warrior. The angel comes of the Lord and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I don't know how you view yourself, but I know exactly how the Lord views you. See, I, I don't know how you run yourself down. I don't know how tangible your insecurities are in front of your perspective. I, I don't know the self-talk that you've got running all the time, but I do know how the Lord sees you. And the Lord sees you and says, woman of valor, mighty hero, great warrior, the Lord is with you. Now, we're going to read here. We're going to see what Gideon thinks about himself. Well, keep going. It says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. If you want to paraphrase what Gideon is saying. He's saying, um, but I am a small man from a small clan with small hands and no plan. I, I don't know. It's just a rhyme. 
He, he does not see himself like the Lord sees him. He sees himself as his insecurities dictate. He sees himself maybe as a sort of circumstance has painted a picture. So he's taken that picture and he's repeated it to himself again and again and again so that it has become fact for him. He said, there's no way that I could rescue Israel because I am tiny. I'm like a hobbit among giants, right? I am a grocer. I am, uh, you know, I'm a farmer. I am a single parent staying at home with my kids. Like, I am just a software developer. I'm just, there's no way I can, I am just a fill in the blank. But he does not see himself as the mighty warrior that the Lord sees. And the reason why it's important to bring this up is because I want you to understand that we are the ones that are singing the sad song of negativity again and again and again in our heads. And, and I believe that we are the ones running ourselves down. Now, it could be that circumstances have been difficult. It could be that there was some event that took place in our lives that created sort of the initial negative experience, the initial uh, downward trend in thought and, and in the way that we see ourselves. But what's interesting, and this has been said 10,000 ways, is that even though that event might be rooted in reality, what we say to ourselves about that event is far more powerful than the actual event itself. And um, it, it's been said a, a million ways. Chuck Swindoll is the one who made it very famous. He said, look, all of our experience as humans is rooted in 10% fact and 90% attitude according to that fact. There's, there's a whole realm of um, therapy that is centered around this. I have a quote for you from Dr. Gerald Corey. And he says, this is called Relational Emotive Behavior Therapy. It's based on the premise that although we originally learn irrational beliefs from significant others during childhood, we create irrational dogmas all by ourselves. How do we do this? We do this by actively reinforcing self-defeating beliefs in the processes of auto-suggestion and self-repetition and by behaving as if they were useful. Hence, it is largely our own repetition of early indoctrinated irrational thoughts rather than a parent's repetition, say, that keeps dysfunctional attitudes alive and operative within us. In other words, if you just say to yourself, I am a small man from a small clan, because it, yeah, you can see some, some truth. There's some event. Oh, yeah, no, it is a small clan, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not that big. And, and so, yeah, there's some truth there. But you keep repeating that again and again and again. And the reason why the Lord can't work in me is because I'm just a small man from a small clan, and I, mine's the least of the family, and I'm the smallest in my family. And you, you keep repeating that, that auto-suggestion, that self-repetition, pretty soon it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you say the Lord can't use you because of that. Well, then you're not going to let the Lord use you. And you have determined your own path. Unless that cycle gets interrupted. And I want you to see what's happening in Gideon's life. The Lord is interrupting that cycle for him. Friends, I want you to understand the Lord wants to interrupt that cycle for you. He wants you to realize what Gideon needs to realize. That you are who God says you are, period. 
You are that woman of valor. You are that mighty warrior. You are that brave hero. The Lord says you are, therefore you are. That cycle of self-repetition, that self-defeating kind of negativity, we need to interrupt that. Because even though it might be originated in some event in our life or circumstance, the dogma that we build out of it, that is an error. We believe that we are who God says we are. Okay. Hail, mighty hero. Then in verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And if you're Gideon, he might say, well, how big is said man? Because I might have mentioned that I am a small man from a small clan. And the reason why this is interesting, I want you to see this. The, the Lord says, you're going to defeat an entire army as if it were one person. You need to see this, that to the Lord, the, the size of the circumstance, the, the, the immensity of the trial, the weight of the temptation, right? friends, these things are inconsequential to Almighty God. That the largest mountain you or I face to the Lord God Almighty is as a molehill. God is bigger and God is stronger. It is his strength and it is his courage and it is his power that's available to flow through us. You're going to defeat the entire army as if you're fighting against one man. And so that's the big deal. The big deal is that the Lord is with him. I will be with you. And then I'm going to skip a, a, a bit of this because it, it kind of is long. It could be a whole series that's done out of these two chapters. But Gideon gets his first assignment from God. And the first assignment that Gideon gets is he's going to sacrifice his, his father's bull on an altar and worship the Lord. Now the problem is his father worships Baal. And not only his father, but everyone in town worships Baal. Baal's a false god. And not only they worship Baal, but there's this other thing going on. It's a big pole, an Asherah pole, and, and that's part of the false god worship as well. And, and so the, the, uh, the Lord gives Gideon a, a, an assignment. I want you to destroy the altar of Baal, destroy the Asherah pole, use it as firewood for the altar you're going to build to me. Oh, by the way, that's your dad's altar you're going to destroy. And then take his bull and sacrifice his bull on the altar you're going to build. Use his pole as fuel for the fire, and uh, I want you to... To do this, and, and this is going to be the first step in defeating the Midianites. So Gideon's like, great, Lord, you're with me. I am filled with your power. I am strong. I am ready. I believe what you say. So, so he does it in the dead of night because he is terrified of his father and of what the people in town are going to say, but he does it. He, he follows through. He goes in the dead of night, and he destroys the altar of Baal, takes the Asherah pole, cuts it up, uses it as firewood, and uh, sacrifices his dad's bull on the altar that he just built after destroying two other altars uh, for the false gods. And so the next day, the townspeople see what has happened, and they all come out furious because they are all entrenched in the worship of false gods. Go back to verse one. What does it say? The people of Israel were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They had wandered. And so they are furious now that this altar to Baal, that this uh, Asherah pole has been destroyed. They go to Joash, Gideon's dad, and they say, your son did this. Bring him out here. We want his head. Now, ch now check this out. This is really, really interesting to me because... Joash, Gideon's dad, 
he shows up in this moment. And this is what he says. Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerub Baal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Now here's what I find very, very interesting in this part of the passage. I find it very interesting that that this is Gideon's first assignment to take his dad's bull, to tear down his dad's altars to sacrifice as as an offering to the Lord. Scholars have suggested that before Gideon was ready to face the Midianite army, he needed to face his own father. But what's interesting about Joash's response is that whether or not there had been distance or dysfunction in in their relationship, in this moment, Gideon's dad shows up on his behalf. And he says, look, I know, it was my altar that got destroyed, and it was my Asherah pole that that he cut down, and and actually, that's my favorite bull. That was, you know, fluffy, that got sacrificed. And and he says, look, I I get it. My son did all that. I, I get it. He said, but listen, if Baal's for real, Baal can take care of himself. You keep your hands off my son. You don't come near him. He's my son, and he defied Baal. And it was such a pivotal moment in Gideon's life and in the life of that region that now he has a new name, and his name essentially means this is the one who defied Baal. This is the one who stood up to a false god. That is powerful. Now, here's where I want to go with this. Parents, if you're here and you're a parent, I want to tell you that there is a powerful gift you can give your children. And it is the gift of unconditional love and support. Even if you're not exactly tracking with where they're going, you're not exactly thrilled with decisions that you're making, if you continue to communicate, I am with you and I am for you and I love you no matter what, you will be giving them a gift that is like a superpower. Because they know that you're in their corner. Now I want you to think about your own experience with your parents. Some of you are here, you receive that kind of unconditional love. You know how powerful it is. But there are many here who have never received that kind of love. And it's hard for you even to put into words what kind of a wounding you received when you realized, I am only conditionally accepted by my parents. I am only as good as my performance to my folks. Are you tracking with me? That is a powerful wound. And so friends, a lot of what we do at Overlake is about providing support and care and love so that we can live with that kind of a family. That's why we do life groups. That's why we offer support groups because it's very important for us to have that kind of support and care as we tackle the things that we face in this life, okay? What, what the Lord did for Gideon in that moment was profound. He was basically saying, Gideon, I don't know what you have thought about your dad up until this point, but you need to know your dad is in your corner, and so am I. And now that we've taken care of that, we are ready to go out and to face the Midianite army. Okay, so let's take a look at this next verse, verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet... And the Azbizarites gathered behind him. 
So what I want you to sense right here is here's a small man from a small clan, and, and the, the town's kind of all against him, and there's a lot of things going on. I don't know exactly how long this sort of episode is taking place. It was a couple of days, a week or two. But the Spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon, and he blows his trumpet, and the people come from all over the place. To the tune of 32,000 people are gathered now to Gideon. A lot of the people that were just in the town and just wanted Gideon's head now have experienced something profound as Gideon's dad showed up for him. The Spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon. They're also a part of the army. I mean, this is an incredible scene right here. And I want you to see what has happened, what has changed in this moment, how he's gone from a small man now to a leader of, of thousands, tens of thousands. You, you can probably circle the phrase yourself. It's the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. See, the difference here is that when God's Spirit shows up, there is a gift that's imparted to the person in which God's Spirit is showing up. Now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it very, very clear that as we place our faith, our trust, our hope in Jesus Christ and Him alone, that God's Spirit comes on us and His Spirit imparts spiritual gifts to us. They are gifts that are given freely. They're gifts that are, that are given to us on loan so that we can face the situations that we're in and bring the victory and the kingdom to bear. So uh, if you want to read more about this, look up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you'll see that there's a lot more on this idea of God's Spirit showing up on us as believers and imparting gifts to us. But what I want you to see really clearly is if, if Gideon would have blown the trumpet a few days earlier, nothing would have happened. It was because the Spirit of God came. He blew the trumpet, 32,000 come. Now, I just want you to understand, when you are in the moment of trial or temptation, when you are in the moment, you might not think, hey, I've got all this strength, I've got all this preparation ready to go, but in the moment, the Spirit of God will come and give you what you need to face that situation. And it happens again and again and again. It's one of the reasons why Jesus told his disciples, don't even prepare what you're going to say, because in the moment, the Spirit will give you the word. Are you tracking with me? It's this beautiful thing that as followers of Jesus Christ, we trust the Holy Spirit shows up and gifts us in just the right moment. I'll give you an everyday example, or maybe not so everyday. There's a couple of pictures up on the screen, and these are pictures of teenage girls who were hanging out around their dad while their dad was working on a vehicle, like a truck or in the middle, the tractor. And he had it propped up on a jack, and while they were under the vehicle, the vehicle fell on them. And in each of these situations, these are true stories, the girls lifted the tractor or the truck off of their dad, and so their dad was able to get out and be safe. Now, this goes back to what I said earlier. Parents, you need to be good to your children <laughs> so that if you get pinned under a vehicle, they will want to lift it off of you, Right? The girls weren't just like, oh, dad's under a tractor, high five, you know. I think the moral of the story is if you're ever going to be under something really, really heavy, have a teenage girl standing nearby, right, to lift it off. Now, what I want you to see is this. As far as I know, none of those young ladies, after that event happened, immediately went and signed up for the Olympic deadlift competition, they didn't make an assumption that just because I was able to lift the two-ton tractor off my dad, that when I try it next Monday, I'll be able to do it again. 
It was a gift that was given to them in the moment with this surge of adrenaline and the strength they did not know they possessed because they did not possess it. But it was able to flow through them at just the right moment. And, and this is a picture, I believe, of, of the Holy Spirit giving us gifts exactly when we need them. And so Gideon, in this moment, the Spirit comes on him. He blows the trumpet. 32,000 are gathered together. And now they're ready. He's starting to believe and realize that he's stronger than he thinks. Let's keep going. There's this other thing that's going on in Gideon's mind, by the way. And you'll see what it is. It says, then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight, like a, like a sheepskin. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that's just what happened. When Gideon got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. I don't know what he did with that water, perhaps wash his face. But what I want you to see is that Gideon is dealing with something internal, and we've seen it actually all the way through these, these chapters. He, he is afraid. He is petrified that the Lord will cease to be with him, that, that maybe God really isn't calling him to walk this road, that this leadership mantle is too heavy for him to bear alone, and he's constantly afraid that the Lord will abandon him. And so God shows up, just like God showed up when he did his first assignment and, and sacrificed the bull, and his dad showed up for him, and, and actually a couple other times already in this passage that we haven't had time to go into. So I, I want you to see this, that, that God has showed up for Gideon again and again, and you would think that Gideon was now ready to follow him into battle, but he says this, then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. But let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground is around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Do you see how gracious the Lord is to Gideon? Gideon is, is putting out these tests before the Lord. Lord, if you're really with me, you'll do this, and God does, and Oh, don't be angry. I need one more sign. If, the, if you're going to be with me, would you give me the sign? And, and the Lord does. The Lord is gracious. He's not holding this against Gideon, but he wants Gideon to get it. I am with you, and I am for you, and I'm not going to leave you. You're walking with me into this thing. I say all that because I want you to understand we don't use a sheepskin, but I believe we do this to the Lord again and again and again. I, I believe that the Lord shows up for us and, and we are thrilled about the Lord showing up for us and the, the feeling of confidence and that, that faith bolstering feeling that we have, it lasts with us for minutes and then we're right back to the same place of fear. And it could be finance, right, that, that we're afraid and things are tight. And, and Lord, if you would just show up for us, if you would, if you would just help carry us through this pay period. And, and he does, and we don't even know how he does, but somehow the bills are paid and we're still in a place. And, and, and we're through that, that difficult, tight period, and, and now we're through it. And, and then, you know, the next pay period, things are tight. Oh, Lord, if you could only show up for us. And then somehow it happens, maybe a gift from a, a family member, maybe there's, maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ that comes alongside, maybe you get more from work than you thought, and, and all of a sudden you're through that period again, you're, oh, thank you, Lord, I'll never doubt again, but then, you know, next day, oh, Lord, I'm so tight, would you please help? 
And it doesn't have to be with finances. It could be something totally different. But I want you to see that we're a lot more like Gideon than we think. And yet even as God was gracious to Gideon, God is gracious to us. And that he keeps showing up for us and he keeps proving himself. He keeps carrying us forward. He keeps reminding us that he is with us and that he is for us. So let's keep going. So Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, right? That's his new name. Everyone knows him. This is the guy who defies Baal. Gideon and his army got up early, and they went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. All right, if you're a general of an army, this is what you would call a bad day, all right? And, and so, you know, oh, there's too many, 32,000. Hey, just, just make an announcement, you know, a little public service. Hey, listen, if you're a little timid, you need to go home. This is the moment to do it. 22,000 leave. That's a bummer if you're a general. And, but you're like, okay, I got 10,000. I'm, I'm solid. I got 10,000. Now, we don't know how many are the Midianites. The Bible hasn't told us. We do know they're thick as locusts. We know that they come in droves. Camels, too numerous to count. I hate camels. So there's like a lot of bad stuff going on. But I got 10,000 with me, Gideon's thinking. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup their water in their hands and lap it up with their, their tongues like dogs. Uh, on the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. So two groups, so far so good. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths. In the stream, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept 300 men with him. Now, this is very, very interesting to me. I just always try to place myself in the moment. So if you're Gideon, God's like, divide them into two groups. You're like, sweet, no problem. Like, I can do math. We got 10,000. You want two groups. Maybe it's 5,000, 5,000. Maybe it's like, you know, 60, 40. Maybe, maybe it's even, maybe worst case scenario, 3,000, 7,000. Like, I'm, I'm good. But, but it happens to be 9,700 and 300. So he's probably thinking, well, the Lord will want me to release these 300. And so I, you know, no, no, send the 9,700 home. <laughs> Lord, it'll be a slaughter. God's like, that's the spirit. You know, like um, 300? What in the world am I going to do against a huge army too numerous to count with 300? Friends, I wonder if you ever have thought this. Maybe the reason why you're not seeing the breakthrough, maybe the reason that you're not seeing the victory is because you have too many resources at your disposal. See, maybe, and this is how I think, this is how we all think, but I need more warriors. 
and I need more weapons, and I need more resources, I need more technology, I need, big, I need bigger, better, stronger, I need uh, uh, just the strategic plan has to be ironclad, and then I'll go to battle. And God says, if you do it without me, you will do it without me. And he's not interested in that at all. Maybe the reason why we are not seeing the victory is because we're not humbly depending upon the Lord. We're depending on our own strength and our own cleverness and our own resources. And maybe if we were willing to divest ourselves of a few of the things that we lean on heavily, then we would see the Lord's Spirit working through. So that's what's happening here. God says, look, if you do it with 32,000 men, Israel will boast, I did it in my own strength. God wants them to boast in the Lord's strength. And so he has a different kind of a plan. And now, so Gideon, is, is, he's looking at this situation. God has shown up again and again. But obviously, if you're a general and you're a practically-minded general, this is, a, this is a scary scenario. It's as far scarier right now than it's ever been thus far in the story because he's got 300 with him. And so this is what the Lord says to him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid, was he afraid? Yes, he was afraid. You and I, we would be afraid. God says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. And so you can read uh, what happens next. I'll just summarize it for you. Gideon does just that. He takes his servant, they go down, they creep into the, the Midianite camp and they listen at the back of a tent and they hear one soldier talking to the other soldier. He's saying, oh my gosh, I had the weirdest dream last night. It was a dream about a, a bread roll, like a loaf of bread shaped as a roll, and it was rolling down out of the hills, and it hit a tent, and the tent collapsed. You guys, all of us, we're, we know that gluten is dangerous. This guy's having a dream. The attack of the, the bread loaf, it rolls down the hill, hits the tent, the tent collapses. His, his buddy, this other soldier, says, Oh my goodness, you know this can only mean one thing, that the Lord has given Israel the victory. And they start to whisper their terror, and it spreads throughout the camp. The Lord has given the Israelites victory. And so Gideon is greatly encouraged. He goes back to his men. And they come up with a battle plan. They, they divide up into three groups. They divide their army into three groups. <laughs> it's not really an army. It's more like a small group. Uh, but they take, you know, you couple go there, you couple go there, you go. And they all have a jar with a torch in it and a horn. And so they spread themselves around the enemy army. And when Gideon gives the signal, they break the jars, raise their torches, and blow their horns. They all shout, for Gideon and for the Lord. Of course, the army camp is already terrified, and they, they go into a full-blown panic. They begin to slay one another in their haste to get out of Israel and out of harm's way and out of Dodge. They leave everything, and they run, and they are completely routed, and Gideon hasn't even drawn a sword, and the Lord gets all the victory. 
not only that, but what gets whispered among the nations is this. With 300, a whole army gets routed. You don't want to mess with Israel because the Lord is mighty in Israel. Do you see, God gets all of the glory. And Gideon is infinitely stronger than he thought. Right? He defeats the army as if it were one man and one terrified man at that. Now, how do we bring this thing home? Here's what I want you to know. You, if, if, if you're not facing an army right now, sometime in the next year you will be. You will be facing an enemy army. Whether that army is temptation, whether it is circumstance, it's unemployment, it's, uh, it's a relational thing, maybe it's a trial. Maybe in your marriage, you and your spouse, there's a distance that's happened. I don't know what it might look like. Maybe it's, it's with your, your child, your son, your daughter. Maybe it's with your parent. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's health-oriented. I really don't know what you're going to face, but I promise you you're going to face something that looks like an enemy army. And you're going to think, I am just a small man from a small clan. And God looks at you and says, you are a mighty warrior. You are a woman of valor. I am with you, mighty hero. And together, we will send this army to flight. Friends, it's not because of anything that we claim on our own. We don't, own, we, we don't claim the strength of God based on our merit or our worth. This whole thing is predicated on the grace that God pours out on us because he loves us. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Because he desires a relationship of love with us. And because of that, he says to us, just like he said to Gideon again and again and again, he says, I am with you. Friends, my prayer is that you would believe that you are who God says you are. My prayer for you is that you would listen to his whisper and not the enemies this week. And that when you find yourself face-to-face with that enemy army, you would realize that you are not a small man from a small clan, but you are the mighty hero of God. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, we, we know that it is all because of your grace that we can call out to you. We, we know that it is because of your grace that there's an invitation to live abundantly in you. We know that there is um, an invitation to walk victoriously so that you would receive glory and honor. We, we know that you desire for each and every one of us to live as an overcomer of the circumstances and the trials and the temptations that come our way. And we confess, Lord Jesus, that on our own, we don't have We don't have the tools. We don't have the strength. We don't have the gifts. But Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we trust that you meet each and every one of us in our need and that it's through your power flowing through us that we want to see the enemy army routed. And so we pray all of these things knowing that you know each and every one of us. You know where our needs are. You know where our struggles are. You know where the battles are, where the temptation is. Would you meet us today? And would you allow us this week to live in your strength, believing that we are who you say 
we are. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.